Hello, and welcome to Liberate Your Soul, a podcast designed to quiet the inner imposter, awaken you to truths known within all of us, so that you can discover your purpose, heal heart wounds, and find where you fit in to feel whole and allow you to make positive, lasting impact on the world. I'm your host, Kelly Pierce, a certified business and personal coach. I help top performers find their authentic selves in order to come from a confident decision-making place. As a fellow seeker, I have found that liberating the soul enables anyone to transition from anxiety to acceptance. It is my hope to provide you with inspiration and tools to help you feel confident, joyful, and loved. To learn more or to connect with me, go to www.quantumhighways.com. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Liberate Your Soul. And as promised, I am here with a wonderful, lovely, fabulous guest. I have the beautiful Tiffany Wandler from good old Canada, our neighbors to the north. She is a transformational life coach. She is wonderful at helping couples. She helps men. She helps women. She helps adolescents. There is no one that she cannot help with her 25 years of training and experience. She helps people with personal growth, with cultivating their own skills and abilities, create enriching, fulfilling lives, and enhance the quality of their relationships. She is such a wonderful coach. She helps develop clarity, consciousness. She helps facilitate open and honest communication. She helps with accountability. She helps people overcome their fears and anxieties, identify and overcome self-limiting beliefs, which as you know, I am a big one on, right? When we limit ourselves, then we get in our own way. So Tiffany, she also emphasizes the importance of boundaries, of self-love and acceptance of self and others, which as you know, if you're a longtime listener of the podcast, we love ourselves and our authentic selves coming out so that we can have more meaningful connections in all areas of life. So that being said, welcome Tiffany. Thank you, Kelly. It's great to be here. I really uh, appreciate you having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. How's Canada these days? Well, Canada is pretty great. We are flirting with spring right now, I would say. So we had we've had some beautiful weather, but then we also got six inches of snow yesterday. So um, I am in sort of western Canada. Yeah, it takes a little while for spring to yeah. fully come out, but we're getting there. Fantastic. Fantastic. I've always wanted to go and visit and it's obviously later in the year would be wiser. I would, I would wait a couple of months, but Hey, you're welcome to come and and, uh, visit me here. I would love that. That would be so fun. It sounds divine. So Tiffany, you and I met um, recently on our journey to learn and improve our skills through RTT rapid transformational therapy, but I was so impressed with your energy, your poise, your just all around beingness. And it just really shows that you've done the work as a human 
and then come to find out you've been a coach for 25 years. So let's talk about that. What got you into coaching? Hmm. Well, that does obviously 25 years. I actually realized that um, this year, I believe it's been 30 years since I finished university. That's just, it's crazy. It's crazy to think about that. Um, So if I think back, the interesting thing is I, I think I always knew. Um, And when I was a teenager, I would often just find myself in positions where people would come to me for, I guess, advice or just to talk to. Um, And I saw a lot of other adolescents um, going through a whole lot of really difficult things with no support. You know, and my mom used to joke about the fact that, you know, she would answer the phone and there would actually be these young adults as well calling to talk to me about, I don't, you know, I don't remember what. Um, so I, I knew. And uh, so when I went to university, my focus really was adolescence. And so I did that for a very long time. I worked basically on the street. So my work shift would be out there connecting with street youth um, and trying to build rapport and connect with them and help them build some connection back into um, back into some healthier paths, let's say. So I did that a long time. But of course, in the course of that, I worked uh, with their families. So I've worked with, um, done a lot of family work and a lot of addictions work. I mean, you name it, the variance of that, because having the whole family involved, if you can, in those situations is is really key, if the family is healthy as well. Yeah. yeah. And then a few, well, a longer way down the line, I ran a a ranch for female youth uh, coming directly off the street, which was a really intense and incredible experience. And that's where I actually got into equine assisted therapy. And so um, we developed some programs around that. And uh, so I still do some helping to train trainers for that. Um, But after that, I decided um, I would like to take a break from such a, a really acutely intensive work And so I started to go into private practice. And so now people come to me, it's more so that they're ready to do the work and they're wanting to do the work. Um, So it's, uh, I mean, I love it. It's just at another phase of life. And um, I just love watching people when they've made that decision and they, they want to do the work, the just watching that blossom within people. And, and seeing them begin to find their true self and stand in their truth and feel so empowered. I mean, that really, that lights me up. That's, you know, and as you know, that's why we do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And to, it, you know, I always find it's a, it's a, such an honor and a privilege to have somebody work with you and choose you to walk that path with them. That's, that is a big honor. And I think that's a really important piece for all of us in this field to always remember that someone allowing us to walk that with them is um, it really is just a big honor and so that's kind of where I came to where I am now that is so amazing wow I have goosebumps or as I refer to them truth bumps like <laughs> my arms yes. and my legs just so amazing it really is I pulled away a few huge nuggets of wisdom and what you said. I mean, the whole thing was just stunningly beautiful. One thing that you said 
and I, I'm going to come back to a few things, but mm-hmm. being the witness, I think, in the unfolding of yeah. the healing process and being able to watch the clients as they un- empower themselves with these skills and as they see how life can be different when they make the choice for it to be so, right? Yeah. And as you're just, because we're not doing it for them, right? They no, can, not at all. They can come see us for an hour a week or <clears throat> two hours a week, whatever it may be, but then they have to go back out there and do the whole thing themselves um, on their own. So when they make those choices and they come back and they're kind of reporting their struggles and their victories, that is when we as the practitioner or, you know, therapist or coach, um, truly, I think are, are blessed, right? Mm -hmm. It's like not work. (laughs) No, no, it's not work. And it's, uh, I mean, it just makes that I think you're feeling, I can see that you're feeling it too. But when I talk about that, I'm, I'm actually thinking about, you know, specific people in my mind and it's like a, um, it's like a glow. Like you can feel that inside when you see somebody just having, just having walked through these fires and putting everything into practice and how that's altering their lives. I mean, that it's just, um, it's an incredible thing to see. And I think, I think there are oftentimes that there are many of us who are called, and sometimes I've even referred to it um, as one of the really almost most one of the most important pieces of coaching or being a therapist is is that call to bear witness and to actually um, create that container and that emotional safe space that they can tell their story in its entirety and then move forward from it and be able to have someone bear witness to, to their, whatever their story is and whatever their pain may be in that safe way. um, I think it's actually probably underestimated as to the the power of just of that. And we think about women's circles and when women gather, you know, just creating that space is an incredibly healing thing all on its own. And it really is that piece of bearing witness for each other. Mm-hmm. so imperative it's it's more than just validating the experience it's actually letting the person know that they matter mm-hmm. that there's purpose for what they've experienced and helping them make sense of it I yeah. think right yeah yeah um you mentioned you said something else too and it just truly I wanted to share this with you it was brought up um, and I shared it with my listeners early on in the year, but I always choose a word for the year, right? Mm. And it just helps me to come back to center and back to my path and where I want to go. Um, and this year, my word is sacred. And uh-huh. so that sacred space that we create with our people. And I know there's some people who are really clinical and who really are just like, okay, well, this is what they have. They have this affective disorder and blah, blah, blah. But I think that's what differentiates the type of practice that you have and that I have from maybe those type of by the book people is that we create that sacred space. We give them room to 
really let it out and transform those emotions into power. Yeah. Does that feel right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That resonates. The, um, the, I, the, you know, the idea of that sacred space, that is, I mean, that, that's just a gift in itself. And I think I agree with you about, um, you know, there are lots of people who work in that really clinical way. What I have sort of found about that is that there's only so much I think of um, that a client, whoever they are, can allow themselves to show or to let go or let open in a clinical setting. Um, and that's, you know, that's just my experience, but I do have a pretty strong belief about that because it, it doesn't really leave room for that and it doesn't encourage that. Um, and I think it's a very sad thing that in the past, it somehow became this idea that that was how you were professional, that you were clinical, that you didn't react to any emotion, that you didn't um, actually engage in any sort of emotionally. And God forbid you should ever hug someone or touch someone. Or acknowledge um, it. I think it's yeah. acknowledging that. <clears throat> and I think, I think that so much is lost through that um, sort of system. Mm -hmm. But I actually am seeing, I, I really feel there's a shift happening with more people like yourself who are just going out there and being out, out there in the world and being visible and showing the, the way that we can get the same, I mean, the kind of results that we can get without that clinical sort of um, flavor to it. Right, right. So you mentioned, and I didn't realize we had this in common, but you mentioned equine therapy. Um, that's something that I do down here in South Florida. There's a lot of horse ranches around here and it's so powerful. I love the power of healing through horses. I had a horse, I had several horses when I was a teenager and my childhood was very turbulent, but my horses were like heaven, right? They just, they're so empathic and they really, when a child, whether they have a disability or um, they're emotionally troubled, whatever it might be, they connect with those powerful animals. It is so amazing to watch and witness um, them come to life, right? Yeah. I mean, that's really cool um, to find another thing we have in common. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I totally agree. what what blew me away when we started to do to work with them that way was wow the 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 swiftness that they could bring uh, a kid or a family or a child to to the issue like just cut right through everything stuff that would have taken it would seem like maybe a few months of you know one to one counseling when I would bring the horses in or a horse man it just was like this. It just, I don't know what they do They're um, I always say that when I work with the horses, you know, they're not, they're not my assistant. I'm their assistant. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I just watch and listen. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. That's so powerful. That's yeah. So, oh my gosh. I just, it's like all the horses that I've worked with are just like flashing through my mind and yeah. I'm just sending them so much love. Right. Just like, oh, so, so I know. Powerful. Yeah, they're amazing. They're amazing. I and I, you know what else was interesting to me is um, if I had a family or um, a group, a team, or any sort, if I 
put them um, in with the horses and, you know, usually then, you know, you have exercises that um, they would do. I mean, they would recreate their family dynamic or that team dynamic in, in minutes, just working with the horse. And I think you just can't, I don't know, a horse takes away people's ability to lie. They don't do so well with that, you know, to themselves or to anything else, right? Because you can't lie. Horses don't lie and you can't really lie to a horse because they feel everything. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I absolutely love that. Yeah. I thought of it that way. Let's talk about boundaries a little bit. Mm. Um, we were talking a little bit before we hopped on um, about trusting in yourself, um, trusting in your intuition, and really being able to set up boundaries mm-hmm. when someone feels not right, right? And horses being intuitive and all this sort of like woo stuff is going through my mind right now. Yes. Um, discernment versus judgment um, in this sort of, I want to call it maternal way, right? In this feminine culture, like a lot of people um, who are sensitives like myself, right? And I think you're, you might identify with that being a, a sensitive type of person and not sensitive like, oh, you hurt my feelings, but sort of we pick up on things. Yes, absolutely. Intuitively, maybe intuitive would be a better word, but trusting in the, this person is good for me or this person is not good for me, or maybe I'm not good for them, right? Maybe mm-hmm. we just don't jive. Yeah. Um, what do you think about that? What do you think about boundary setting? Hmm. Um, I actually find that boundaries and boundary setting um, probably are in the top three things for me of the most powerful form of um, self-love and empowerment and standing in your truth. And so even through the process of learning our boundaries, there is a process where we first have to find our truth and then be able to speak our truth and then be able to live that truth and put those things all together. And so because with boundaries, you know, one of the first things that we need to sort out is what our what are our needs and what is it that um, what is it that we want in life and what do we want to surround ourselves with or create when we're sort of in that beginning process it, it can be as simple as saying what is okay and what is not okay and what will I tolerate and what won't I tolerate mm-hmm. um, and so through that process we actually have to do the self-discovery because if someone has been walking in the world um, with some very soft or porous type uh, of boundaries, basically they're sort of defining themselves by by other people's needs, wants, desires, opinions, thoughts, and feelings. It just it touches on so many pieces of that core because you you actually have to do that self discovery to find out first what your boundaries are going to be. Does it sometimes feel like the people who have this sort of undefined boundaries are they don't know what they want or they're afraid that if they do speak up for what they want is going to hurt or cause rejection is it a fear of rejection fear of abandonment because maybe they spoke up when they were little and they got in trouble 
right? Yeah, I think it's it's a number of things. It's definitely um, fear of rejection. Mm-hmm. Um, that if they don't sort of comply, then they will either be rejected. But there's also fear of conflict. Mm, um, that's a big one, right? Yeah. So not wanting to uh, be in any sort of conflictual position with anybody. A lot of people have a lot of um, trouble around that idea. And that's um, primordial. That goes back to the tribal. I don't want to get yeah. kicked out of the tribe if I don't yeah. agree with what everybody wants to do. Yeah, exactly. And I think what we sort of miss in that piece when we don't, when we're missing that sense of self is that we actually, um, we can create our own tribe. But, you know, when we walk, when we're walking through the world with, with sort of those kind of really soft boundaries, they have such consequences. And so one of those things is that, sure, you know, we might make everybody else happy, but our subconscious and our soul knows that each time we do that at the expense of ourselves, there's this little piece of self-betrayal that happens. And so that we build resentment and we build, um, you know, that's where the sort of uh, concept of passive aggressive comes from. Or um, So we build this resentment and, and sadness towards ourselves and to others. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's always that feeling and, you know, often that feeling inside of like, wow, you know, I do everything for everybody else, but you know, what, when, what about me? But we're not able to communicate that. So it just perpetuates. Yeah. And there are so many people who've done that for decades Mm -hmm. and then they're looking back on their life as a 40, 50, 60 year old person and they're pissed. Yes. Very, (laughs) (laughs) very. And they should be, excuse me. Yes. Um, And I think that's actually a spot too, where I actually end up having a lot of people come to me is that suddenly they've had a few realizations of like, that they're angry and they, they can't really figure out all the reasons why or, or why things are starting to fall apart um, mm-hmm. or they're finding themselves in some sort of uh, toxic situations. So what would you recommend that somebody might, if they're thinking, gosh, I haven't spoken up for my needs for a really long time and I really want to, like just one small thing, like Mm. I really don't want Italian food for dinner on Friday nights anymore. I'm tired of it. Like date night is starting to get pretty stale. Um, (laughs) um, How could somebody go about approaching maybe just some thought shift, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Slow baby steps toward creating some safe boundaries. What would you recommend to somebody who maybe um, wants to start moving the needle on a boundary in a slow and easy, gentle way? Well, there's a couple of little things. And one is to think a little bit about um, just shifting the mindset to there's another, you know, a really simple way. So, so first of all, what I, what I would encourage people to do is actually start to think about what is it that I actually want or need and do that in a given day, just with simple things. Like you're saying, even about the <clears throat> Italian versus whatever, here's a little, like a, there's one phrase that I always have people ask themselves. It's a really simple one too. Okay. So here's, you know, the Italian or the not, uh, not Italian or this movie or that movie. Um, I asked them to sort of say that to themselves, um, if it ain't a hell yes, then it's a no. And just checking in with themselves, then they can start to make those small 
moments of saying no. And actually saying no is one of the very basic pieces of this. And it and building into that starting slow and picking something little that maybe they, once they've sort of examined their needs a little bit. So even something you would want out of a, just simple in your day, um, whether it's where you want to go for lunch or who you want to go for lunch with or who you don't want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or going and for bit, a walk versus reading yes. a book. Do you really yes. want to do that? Or do you feel like yeah. doing something else? So I think that the one question the, a small way to start would be to ask myself that question several times a day when I'm faced with any decision. Um, what is it I really need right now? Yeah. And is it a hell yes? or is it? <laughs> Yes. If it ain't a hell yes, it's a no. And that makes it simple. Um, and the other one that we, that I work towards with people is um, to really understand and feel that no is a full and complete sentence. Mm, that's there does yeah, there doesn't need to be, you know, oftentimes when we're struggling with boundaries, we feel this need to overexplain or justify <clears throat> our saying no to something or all the all the reasons why we might not want to do something. Yeah. And the truth is we don't have to. It really is just a full and complete sentence. I love that. Yeah. It's easy to just say, no, no, yeah. no, thank you. Yeah. That can be the polite version of no. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> so we could start with that. <laughs> I love yeah. that. Thank you. That's going to be so helpful for so many people, I think, who just aren't really sure where to start with boundaries. And you know, I'm uh, sorry. Um, there's just a, a couple other things to think about is, and it's a practice, like any other practice, like mm-hmm. meditation, like yoga, you have to... Um, really start to um, to work at it. And when you're, I think when you're first also d- trying to maybe figure out what some boundaries might be, ask yourself, what is what will I tolerate and what will I not tolerate in the ways that people speak to me, um, in the tone they might use and the language they might use. And then you can, you can move that a bit further in. And what will I tolerate being said in front of, in my presence? Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I mean by that is, you know, if you're in a place where um, there are people and someone in your group starts speaking sort of derogatorily, let's say about women or starts to make racial mm-hmm. comments of any kind, um, is that okay? Is that going to be tolerable for you mm-hmm. or not? And um, so, so just asking yourself on a really basic level, mm-hmm. what's okay and what's not okay? Yeah. I love it to build. Yeah. Love it. And as you're saying those things, I'm thinking back to some of my life experiences because that's what the mind tends to do. And I have very firm boundaries. (laughs) I have no problem saying that is unacceptable and inappropriate. And you're invited to leave. (laughs) I would invite you to consider leaving. (laughs) Like there's, I have no problem with saying what I will and won't tolerate. Or and even, that is uh, that's really fantastic. Yeah, like if you continue, I'm going to hang up the phone. Yes, and they continue, and then the hang up happens. You know, like that's that's well, the- and that's the that's the second piece, isn't it? Where where first of all, we have to figure out what our boundaries are, but just as importantly, we need to know what is our follow through mm-hmm. when when those boundaries are crossed, right? Yes, and but and and think about the feeling 
that you get, like, you know, when you're explaining how, um, how you're able to say no and, and tell people like, no, that's not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, that feeling that goes with that, that's pretty, uh, it's pretty amazing feeling. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, that's, that's part of, I think, true empowerment and standing in our truth. And, um, and it's really, you know, I think people don't understand the beginning of setting boundaries because it's funny, Kelly, when you talk about, you know, the, that, that you have really firm boundaries and how easy it is for you to say those words. Mm-hmm. I know that there's probably tons of people out there listening right now that are cringing. Oh, like, I know. Oh. They really hate me and I don't care. No, <laughs> I'm no. not, I'm not in it to make friends. Like I have enough friends. Yeah. I love me. Like, yes. And that's the whole thing. Like I've literally, I've had people go, I can't believe you would be so harsh. And I'm like, listen, I am not in alignment with that. No, I just can't support that. I don't need to be nice. I need to be true to what I believe in. And I don't believe in X, right? I don't believe in Y or Z. This is my truth. And, and it's, and it's not harmful. I'm not putting down the other person. I'm just simply not supporting or endorsing the messaging or, you know, their vibration being around me. Like I love them where they are. That's fine for them, but that's exactly it. I love them where they are. Yes. And they, and they can stay me. back there. <laughs> Anybody listening, they, we're doing this hand gesture, we're <laughs> holding our arms out like over there. That's a boundary. Yes. Don't cross here. We don't do that here. <laughs> exactly. In my you circle, we, we, we are like not putting conditions on people. Like, no, <laughs> no. I guess a condition in a way that we don't do certain things. Like you said, you know, the yes. racism or the sexism or misogyny or, you know, I don't know, nepotism, just like or, we, yeah, even belittling or um, yeah. patronizing or condescending or any form of cruelty for me is uh, an absolute mm-hmm. hard no. And that, you know, that that'll bring my dark side out pretty quick. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and it sounds to me like you're very similar with your boundaries. And it's it's interesting that people say the word harsh. There is there is no harshness there. No. You know that it's truth and being honest with yourself and being able to um, speak up for yourself yeah. and to stand up for others as well. Oh yeah. Um, oh gosh. If you, <laughs> I think back to times when people have harmed or endeavored to harm loved ones yeah. and, oh, <laughs> oh, that's not a good move to do. No. <laughs> like not at all. Um, and you know, I, I have such a soft spot for like the, the helpless, right. The vulnerable, the mm-hmm children or animals like any of those three like you're gonna probably I'll I'll physically violate your boundary (laughs) yeah and I definitely call those the deal breakers and actually that's another good way that people might sort out their boundaries is to think about what are their deal breakers Mm -hmm. Um, and then and then move down the line from there because usually people have generally some pretty strong feelings around some deal breakers. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, when we talk about the the feeling of being able to step into that, I think that a lot of people in the world who um, struggle with boundaries would absolutely, you know, they, they would love to be able to do that. And the world would be a very different place if, if we could sort that out because boundaries are such a big part of self-love. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah. And I, I'm actually given to calling it radical self-love these days just because um, actually a client, one of my clients started calling it that because we were just, I was discussing with, with them how there are so many words that have become really trendy, right? Like self-care. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so for me, I've, I've actually switched it because to me, um, self-care isn't, you know, basalt and, um, you know, bubbles and all of that kind of stuff. So I've kind of moved those into what I now call self-soothing. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Those are really things that can that can soothe and um, smooth away some of those jagged edges and help us to fill up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, self-care is a lot more uh, difficult, let's say. Um, and boundaries are one. Yeah. Um, definitely of self-care. Radical self-love. Mm-hmm. So. I love that. And I think that's so important. And it just struck me that a lot of people who probably listen to this are more on yours and my wavelength that um, we dabble in the the mystical, we dabble in the the coaching, we were pursuing um, personal development type of things. But there might be some mainstream people um, who walk in the corporate world as well, because I walked in the corporate world for like yeah. 17 plus years, I guess more like 19 years. Wow. And I, yeah, it was crazy. Right. And I thought I could go back silly, um, <laughs> <laughs> not compute. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, but what does that look like? Do you think, do you, do you run across many people who have trouble with boundary setting or anything radical self-love um, being able to deal with mainstream life and say their personal life, like their partnerships, their marriages and how to balance that sort of thing. Like, do you mean work-life balance or? Yeah. 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 I think that's a really, really difficult thing um, that a lot of people experience. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've, tell me if I'm not on the right track, if I didn't quite understand your um, your meaning, but I think part of that problem to me is this idea of the the glorification of busyness that we've mm, created in this life, and I mean it. It um, it definitely suits consumerism and all of those kinds of things, but mm-hmm. but I but I actually think this is one of the things that is um, in a lot of ways basically killing us slowly. Yeah, um, just sucks the 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 juice out of your soul, let's say, because, because we've been conditioned around this idea that every moment of every day we're supposed to be doing um, productive. um, And it's like a, a, some sort of status symbol or mm, almost like competition where people are like, Oh my God, you know, I worked 80 hours this week and, and, but they're proud of that because that's what we are uh, somehow societally supporting Mm-hmm. Um, and what I think that creates so many things, I mean, that could be a whole nother conversation, but one of them is there, there's not a lot of time for self awareness and mindfulness and being present in your life mm-hmm. when you're doing that kind of work. And there's also not a lot of time for critical thinking, is there? No. Uh, yeah. It is a badge of honor that a lot of people wear. Yeah. How, how do you think that people who do that, because I mean, how do they get off the wheel? Well, you know, the funny thing about getting off the wheel is a lot of times people, 
you know, it just happens in some funny ways. A lot of times, you know, God or the universe or the God of your understanding, whatever that might be for you, um, sometimes it ends up just smacking you across the head if you're not listening. So you could get sick or you could suddenly have some, you could lose your job or you could have some really sudden sort of harsh thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an awakening. Um, I think the very first piece of being able to get off the wheel um, on our own, let's say, is um, uh, some somewhere, some place, there's a bit of an awakening or awareness. Mm-hmm. There's some moment of like, you know, I'm actually not okay. Um, or thinking they're missing something. And that's a big, that's, I think, a big part of where there's a window. When people get some glimpse in some way, and it happens in such different ways for people, mm-hmm. that this this can't be all there is. There's yeah. got to be more. Um, I feel like, and I wish, I just hope, that it does happen for everyone, not the tragic part. <laughs> yes, we don't need that. <laughs> but the awakening part. Mm. I gotta tell you, like my, I, I did. I wore that badge, right, mm. with pride. I was like, oh, over a hundred hours a week. Like yeah. I've got this. I'm traveling the United States. I'm doing this, and like, and then life fell apart, right? Like, yeah. and then grief hit, and then all this stuff happened. Like, it was so horrible, but it opened that window. Like you said, I got a glimpse of like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, there might be another way. Yeah, this is this is what real life is all about. This yeah. is what it's supposed to be, and it's just so wonderful. And even now. Um, in my practice, like I have to remember that I don't need to go, you know, <laughs> 12 mm-hmm. hours a day, even though I can, even though I want yeah. to, like that, that ego mind just tells me yeah. to keep going, that it's okay to take a little kitten break or, you know, like a fun yeah. walk or a yoga or whatever, that that is just a nice way to be in the world. And I think it also, those things actually really increase our creativity, our passion and our joy for what we do and keeping that balance. And like you were, you know, you used the word alignment um, a while back and I'm not such a word that resonates with me too, because those are the things that keep us in alignment. And the more we're in alignment, the more things just flow as you are experiencing in a very large way these days. Yes. Um, and a being alignment is more, you know, it's finding that truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people are more open to that now than they've ever been. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think, strangely enough, in some ways I've seen shifts because of COVID where people were suddenly couldn't go to work. And so they had to work from home. Um, and I've actually um, talked with a number of uh, really high achieving, you know, in the financial world, um, really actually taking, having this bit of perspective shift about, oh, wow. I mean, this could actually look really different. And it, and suddenly they're having that little mm, poke at them. It's like, oh, wait, there is more and I am missing and we don't need to do it this way. And maybe these things aren't that important and they're actually detrimental. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think we're, that might be one little bonus, you know, if we're talking about COVID in the terms of people taking that step back and all it takes, all it ever takes is just one moment of a perspective shift Mm -hmm. to plant the seed. Yeah. And once, 
you know, once those seeds are planted or the door cracks, you can't go back. Yeah. It's a pretty hard thing to do. So, and it feels uncomfortable when it does. You do try to go back. It's like, um, I, I don't know. It's like, like eating something unpleasant and having heartburn. It's just like, yes, that's a good analogy. I don't want to do that ever again. Like, no, no. Keep the spice level down. <laughs> yeah. And I think people, people find that then it becomes just more and more uncomfortable and they can't, and then they've got to find it. This part is always the part. And I know this is kind of a cliche thing, but it always reminds me of the sort of caterpillar butterfly thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Because once you kind of go into that. Chrysalis. Yes. Once you go in there, you, you can't, you can't go back and it takes a whole lot of like rending and tearing and thrashing about um, to get out. But um, the result is, you know, pretty amazing, but I think. Fly. (laughs) Yes. And you know, that's another thing I, I think in one of the sort of, sort of shadow sides of some of the, some aspects of spirituality can be the idea that, that all we have to do is just think all of these positive thoughts all the time and never, never talk about anything difficult and stay out of difficult conversations. Um, And that's a real, that does a real disservice to whoever is impacted by that. Yeah. Because when people get hooked on the euphoric, of the enlightenment process, I guess, of the, the spiritual awakening and they do the spiritual bypassing where they just don't want to like, they don't want to feel it. They don't want to feel feelings of really going through the breakthroughs. Like they call it a breakthrough because things break. Like exactly. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I mean, when I was going through the, the muckety muck, like there was a song, I don't remember the artist, it was, there was a line in the song where it was like, I cried uh, so many tears, like I made the ocean. And that was just how I felt like the desert became the ocean. And I was living in Las Vegas at the time. And it just so resonated because I literally, I cried Mm -hmm. for more than a year. It was several years. I just cried and I just felt because I had repressed my emotions for so long because I was so tough. I was such a tough, I was badass, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I was working a hundred hours a week. Like, I don't need to do this stuff. Like, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Who's got time for that? Yeah. (laughs) Like what's the contract to do guys? Like, so it was crazy, but it was, it was so deeply, moving. And when I was so humbled by the loss of who I thought I was Mm. and who that old life, you know, was, and even the people in my life, right. My, my family before, you know, everything I thought I knew it was when I was at my lowest low, when I was able to look up and that, that point is transcendent right? Yeah. That is when you know, when you know that you know that you know, yes. you're going to make it through. <laughs> and that's a hard, it's a hard thing to put into words that, um, that feeling. And I, if we could find a way to help people know that feeling a bit better, mm-hmm. um, they maybe wouldn't be so afraid because, um, because the truth of it is exactly what you're saying there's a lot of pain and discomfort when you go through your process. 
Um, But it's okay. Because I think another interesting thing that we've been so conditioned societally to is that having emotion is a bad thing. Any sort of emotion that's not like joy, it's like, oh no, as soon as you have a negative emotion, you got to do everything you can to make that stop. You know, you're not supposed to have that. That makes you weak or that's um, not good for you or just make it stop. Mm-hmm. And I think that actually plays into glorification of busyness because the busier they are, we are, yeah. the less we're hearing or yeah, <laughs> the signs, right? Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, we have a number of things to overcome and that idea that even, you know, I, I've often sort of meditated on the thought of like, even the terms negative and positive emotion. It's like, hmm, why, what if we just called them emotion? Wow. They're just emotion. They don't need to be um, way over here, way over here on some idea, idea of good or bad. They're just all emotions. Right? That's powerful. That reminds me of the Chinese proverb, the poem of the man who his son like rode his horse, he stole his horse and he yeah. rode off and the villagers were like, oh, that's terrible. And the man was like, we'll see. And then the son broke his leg and he came back and they're like, oh, rejoice. Your son is home. It's so great. And he's like, we'll see. And then the Navy came, you know, or the Chinese army came to take all the boys away. And they're like, oh, this is so terrible. But his son's leg was broken. And so he's like, see, everything, everything is good. Like it's either good or it's bad. It's not good or bad. It's just things that happen in life. And it's the meaning that we assign to it that makes it either the positive or the negative. I think as a coach, like doing the thought work and doing the um, perception and putting things into perspective and really seeing how things happen is how we can really understand and make sense of our life's experiences Mm -hmm. and really understand that, yeah, I had some massive tragedy happen in my life and this happened and that happened. I had some massive triumphs too, but that's what makes it a full and enriching life experience. And it helps me be empathetic to my clients. It helps me be appreciative of those good things. It helps me be silly and goofy and fun. And, you know, it helps me be tough as well, right? When I need to be, but I can drop that in an instant when I need Mm -hmm. to be like, it's, it's just what makes it unique and purposeful and rich. Yeah. You know, we wouldn't, we, we wouldn't be who we are without all those experiences, Mm -hmm. but absolutely the meaning, right? It's all important what the meaning is. Totally. One last concept I want to explore with you today while we have a little bit of time is in your truth. You, you talk about finding your truth, and I know we have a fantastic connection. I think that there's connection in all of this. What is your truth? Wow, what is my truth? I think my truth is to to always be true and to always stand. And I think stand for me means a whole lot of things, which is why I just use that word. It means stand for what I know to be right. Mm. 
stand for love always, um, stand for myself, and stand for others. Wow. Yeah. That's really powerful. So oh, thank you. Well, Tiffany, how would people wanting to work with you to transform their lives, how would they get in touch with you? Where's the best place to go? They could probably do it a couple of ways. And one is my email address, and people might find this interesting. Uh, it's Too Tall Tim, which is T W O T A L L T I M at hotmail.com. The funny thing about that email is people have asked me a lot about geez, why do you keep that email? You know, that's kind of a, a silly email or a silly name, but that, but it was, um, it had to do with a, a nickname that one of my street kids gave me many, many, many years ago. Just this really wonderful kid. Actually, it was a group of boys that I worked with around anger and all this kind of stuff, but they, um, they gave me that nickname. So that, that's why I've always kept that. Uh, my phone number is 403-808-3648. Okay, fantastic. So Tiffany, it's been such a pleasure to chat with you today. I know that everyone who listens will be enriched and equipped with so many skills on how to effectively manage boundaries and really identify a little bit more about what their truth is, what's important to them. So thank you for those priceless and precious gifts. Well, you're most welcome. And again, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here with you. Yes, yes, my pleasure. And we'll have you back again sometime, I'm sure. Sounds great. Thank you so much. And for everyone, I thank you so much. We honor your time. We thank you for spending time with us today. Please do get in touch with Tiffany. Send her an email. That link will be down in the show notes so you can have a uh, consult with her on a coaching session, whether you are needing change in your life or struggling with anxiety or depression, feeling stuck during these challenging times. She will help you out. So until next time, take care. Take care.